The following episode contains sensitive content. It is recommended for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. We acknowledge the traditional owners on the land on which we meet and the land on which you are listening. We pay our respects to the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, the country on which this podcast was recorded. This podcast was produced in a private residence in Marrickville, Sydney, and is a completely independent production. We do not act on behalf of any organisation or sponsor. Our views are entirely our own. You're about to join a conversation between two women from Sydney, Australia, talking about losing their loved one to suicide. It is unscripted. This is ordinary people sharing their lived experience. This is Talking Lived. I think a shorter conversation might be who don't I blame for her death. Uh, It seems to be uh, par for the course or or part of this process seems to be at trying to understand and reach for, um, you know, reasons and cause and effect. And uh, there's certainly people I, you know, I, I guess that you can break that up between, you know, personal friends, families, institutions, doctors, um, you know, there's the, the blame game is pretty uh, endless and pretty prolific. But I don't have a, a sort of a finishing end to that story. I, I don't want to say, yes, I, I cannot say I blame X, Y and Z. Uh, for her death, although it's very clear as the story comes out that there's a lot of people who I feel share a proportion of responsibility. And and maybe that's the thing about suicide. You know, I've heard people say that suicide makes everybody else feel responsible for the death. And, um, you know, maybe that's just what I'm I'm trying to do. But uh, there, there was definitely things that contributed to it. And, um, hmm, yeah, my thoughts on it, I think, have changed a lot over the course of the three plus years since Jason has died. Because I think in the start, you're scrambling for really, there's a lot of detail and minutiae that you're, what happened before, the hours before, the week before, what happened on the day. And in all of those things, there's any number of, alternative ways that things could have been managed. I wish I'd picked up a phone. Yeah. I wish I'd called perhaps at a particular time. Um, Like you were saying, everyone feels a sort of that little portion of responsibility. What if, what if, what if? A lot of that spins around. I think now, three plus years into reflecting on all of that, because you turn those things over in your hands and you think about them and then you set them aside And the next one comes along and you think about that, if only. So I have a lot of stuff. Jason was really, really ill before he died, mentally ill, and Mm. had had a long period of chronic mental illness, which had characterised a good portion of our married life together. So he'd been sick for a long time on and off. Would be episodic. He'd have quite a bad episode. He'd been hospitalised a couple of times. He'd sort Mm. of recovered. We went back to kind of what looked like normal family life, all that sort of stuff. So there was sort of this cycle that characterised. 
So now three plus years onto it, where you've reflected on more and more of those little details, the picture starts to get bigger and clearer for me, I think. And I, I sort of had one of those epiphany, epiphanous moments. I was talking to a friend just about all of it, everything, you know, and it was someone that knew both of us. And we weren't talking about blame, but we were talking about the details, the real grit of what made up our family life. And this friend said to me, we never use this language when we're talking about mental illness. Never. But Jason died of a terminal illness. Right. Yeah. And when she said that, I thought, my God, she's got it. That's what, yeah. what he had and what he suffered from was terminal. Yeah. Despite all our efforts to source treatments to heal him, to make him better, to ease his pain, to ease his suffering, he had a terminal illness mm. um, because ultimately that is what took him out, mm. um, was chronic depression. That is a striking summary, uh, Tanya. And in a way, uh, I have, haven't have sort of got to that point, but I have thought Gabby was fatally wounded. So yeah. what happens to the fatally wounded? They yep. will eventually yep. die. And you can't shake your fist at the sky. You can't shake your fist at a person for that. Mm. It It is. It's an illness. It's an injury. Whatever... You, mm. It's to blame, it is to blame, but yeah. it's not blame in the sense more broadly of how we use that word. Yeah, yeah. Did anyone blame you for what happened, Tanya? And uh, how did that feel? Yeah, they did, yeah. And... I understand why that happened. So there were members of the family uh, who still, I think to this day, probably have the same conclusion that they had drawn about the time that Jason died, is that it was my fault that this happened because I left the family home. And I can't imagine that their feelings would have changed at all. So in terms of how did that feel, that pretty much tells you how I felt about that because I don't speak to those people anymore. If for me that was a deal breaker um, because as much as I understand that this kind of grief takes you to a place where you don't think clearly and it is, it's just gut-wrenchingly awful and I know that those members of the family were really, really hurt by Jason's death, that in a terrible place, no doubt, as we were, I didn't blame anyone else for the fact that Jason had died. And, and Jason had a lot of conflict. In fact, he had conflict with almost every single person in his life. Mm. He was arguing with almost everyone at his workplace. He was still maintaining arguments with people from his previous workplace that he'd worked, worked at before he kind of left and and found a new job and just continued the argument with a whole lot of other people. So there was a lot of rage in him in the final years of his life. And he was arguing the last 12 months, was a, he was in conflict with almost every person in his family. And none of that is acknowledged 
Um, and that hurts because I see a pattern. I don't know about anyone else, but if someone has that much turmoil and that much conflict, there is an issue. <laughs> and maybe there's a reason I left if that, you know, if that helps form a picture. So, yeah, it, I was blamed by people. And I even see it now when I see write-ups in the newspaper about someone who has suicided. And eventually there will be the, the inevitable line, the girlfriend had just left. Mm -hmm. He'd been arguing with the wife. Mm. Or code the wife was an awful person triggered like I get so triggered when I read it and I'm like far out mm. there mm. was something else going on because mm. arguments in relationships are normal that is part of being human and people are allowed to leave relationships it doesn't mean this always happens. It means something else was going on. So, yes, I've been horribly triggered by this question. I can hear that. Sorry. But, yeah, I was blamed and I didn't like it very much. Mm. And, yeah, that's really understandable, I think. Uh, I, I felt uh, I don't know whether people blame me. I, nobody has said anything outright, oh, it's your fault. Uh, maybe people have come close to that uh people are kind of forgiving you know i know there's so many things about um you know what i did as a parent that has m led to I, I don't know gabby had a lot of problems i her early life was chaotic and that was my responsibility so you know having said all of those things i feel very responsible for her death and maybe as a parent is very different from a, a partner uh, in that, you know, you, you weren't there in the formative years, you know, mothers in particular are meant to be responsible in a particular way or provide the care in a particular way. Uh, you know, the neglect of, G Gabby was neglected and the neglect of her life sort of reflected something of my own life how these things come down, the chains, you know. But, you know, what, was, what were the fatal wounds? What was the, what was the exact thing, and, um, you know, that, that meant? Because a lot of people have a lot of terrible times and they don't end up killing themselves. So what's the, you know, there's not this direct cause and effect thing. But I think what is most telling is that people do have a model in their own mind of right and wrong and, good and bad and who should do what, you know, people are proportioning blame all the time. And that comes out in subtle ways. And we see that. So, for example, I had a situation with a person who we knew another friend whose child had died. And they said, oh, well, that mother had all of these particular decorations around the house. And that would have been really confusing for that child. She wouldn't have understand or stood which culture she was from. It was a, a mixed relationship. Um, 
she wouldn't have known where she was from. She didn't feel safe there. And, uh, you know, all of the implications was, oh, the mother didn't confuse this child enough that they killed themselves. And so it's like, oh, you don't have to tell me you blame me because I can infer it from everything you say about how you see the world and how we so casually hold parents responsible for every little thing that happens in their life, never mind that parenting is the most difficult job you can ever do. And quite frankly, there can be a lot of awful parents and really do really shit things. And if your kid doesn't kill themselves, you might get away with it. But when they kill themselves, all of those things come back. You cannot get away with any of it. All of those feel like the reason and feel like they must have contributed somewhere to, you know, what was the um, the fulcrum, the leverage where the, the seesaw slipped to the other side and, you know, suicide was the inevitable outcome. What about the other side of blame, self-blame? Do you feel guilty? Oh, does, well, I'm, I'm Catholic, so um, I'd say does the Pope shit in the woods? <laughs> I think, you know, there's very little that I don't feel guilty about, but I, then I start to think about, well, what's realistic about that? I mean, I'm, I might be slow, but I'm not stupid, and uh, I think... Mm, just because I feel guilty doesn't mean that I'm responsible for something and, uh, I don't know, just very conditioned to feel guilty about most things. I yeah. think my mum used to always say to me, like, I can always, uh, she'd say, who who did this or who did that? And even though I wasn't the one who might have done something, I just looked guilty. So she, she'd go, well, you look guilty. It's like, <laughs> I always looked guilty. It didn't matter what happened. I always looked guilty. So... I, I don't know how to reconcile that one, Tanya, but no. but do you feel guilty? Yeah, I do. I mean, I, I think if you talk to anyone who's been in this experience, I think that's this. it's part of it, isn't it? You, you can't sidestep it because you're just filled. Filled is a bottomless pit of what ifs. Mm. What if I'd just done... And it might be something really, really, really minor or it might be something really big an intervention, something different that, you know, you could have done. And I think in because what preceded Jason's death, in our spe specific set of circumstances, there were lots and lots of what-ifs because it was very... He was very, very, very angry and there was a lot of conflict in the last couple of weeks of his life. Uh, and... Any one of those things, if they'd just been handled differently, maybe if Jason had answered a door, maybe if I'd called a bit earlier, mm. maybe all, all these little minute things stack up on top of each other. So, yes, I mean, mm. it, guilt is just part of the experience, I think. I guess there's guilt about the things you've done. Uh, but, well, for me, there's guilt about the things I've done. But there's also guilt about the shortcomings, the things that you didn't do or that I didn't do. And, and maybe regret is probably a better word for those. There are some moments in this whole saga, because our saga was like yours. There was a lot of chaos. 
you know, we were in the the few weeks, we were in the final stages of a dying person's life, you know, and I would never have characterized her as dying before she had died but in hindsight I can see that is what was happening that is how now how I see it what I was actually witnessing was the last couple of weeks of his life but we didn't know it at the time yes yes no I didn't know it either it was the last thing I would have thought uh was going to happen uh but I well you know the the chaos was just rebounding on itself a lot and I I think it's the things there's definitely regret about the things that, oh, if I had have known, and we get a lot of that, and I think it's very much in hindsight, we can see what happened. We we feel like we could have done something and it would have changed the outcome. It's a very strong feeling that, oh, if I had have known this was what was going to happen, there is no way I would have left that time. I would have stayed yeah. there and I would have, um, you know, persisted. Why do you think we blame? What's really going on? I can only answer really from my perspective. So someone else who's been through a similar experience, has experienced someone, you know, losing someone to suicide might have come to a totally different set of conclusions about it. But I actually think blame, it's like a self-protection because it shields you from the reality that there is actually nothing that you could have done to change the outcome. And all of the little bits and pieces, which was talking about a few minutes ago, what if, why didn't I call then, why didn't I pick up the phone, why didn't I call that doctor sooner, why didn't I... All of those little things, they're still kind of there, but the bigger picture for me, and this is now three-plus years into the experience, and it was very grounded very much in the specifics of Jason's chronic mental illness is that I honestly believe there is nothing that we could have done to change the outcome. And that is a really frightening thing to confront because Mm. this is the worst thing that could have possibly happened to our family. Mm. It's the worst thing that could have happened to Jason's daughters. It's the worst thing that will ever happen to me. And Mm. to know that there is nothing that you could do to change that and you sort of just have to resign yourself to it like fate. For me, I think I had to, I have had to come to that resolution and that I can understand other people will never want to come to that. For me, I needed to do it, I think, because I genuinely don't think. We talked about it kind of a couple of episodes before where Um, I was reading a lot around this concept called radical acceptance, which I'm not a psychologist. I'm sure other more well-informed people could bring a lot more expertise to bear, and I'm probably bastardising the concept by using it in this way. But it is almost... That's kind of where I've... I'm, I'm, you know, I'm hanging my hook on that. I'm hanging my... You know, using that hook on the wall to hang, you know, this on that that I actually think there's not much that we could have done Mm. to change it. And when you reach that place, blame's got nowhere to go Mm. because you can't blame anyone because actually you, me, bloke down the street, doctor, paramedic, 
any intervention they could have made might have changed how it unfolded, but it ultimately wouldn't have changed this. And that, I don't know, yeah. is that nihilistic? Maybe it is, but... Blame, blame leaves the building when mm. you go to that place. Yeah, right. Well, I think before Gabby died or suicided, I would have thought about... What I would have thought about blame is... Oh, blame is powerlessness. So we're powerless over something and we've got to find somebody else because we can't do anything about it. And we have to... And, and I think that if you take suicide out of the equation in this society, I think it's a very blaming society. And I probably would have been tougher on people. You know, I'm thinking back because... Our lives are forever punctuated by the before and after. This is such an uh, epic event that the way we were before may not be the way we are now. And we're still the same people, but we're changed by this circumstance. So I would have been quite harsh on people and going, well, you're feigning powerlessness. You're saying you can't do anything about it. And that's why you're blaming those people because you're not acting on your own power to do something about it. Now, whatever that situation is. And now I think about, oh, in suicide, why do people blame? I feel like it's just a sort of instinctive to try and be able to we don't, you and I do not want to be thinking about the circumstances of this over and over and over. And right from the minute of Gabby's death until now, multiple times a day, different things will happen. Like years later, don't think of the same things. It doesn't have the same intensity, but always things are ticking over one way or another. There's always like running through some series of events or some perspective on her life now that she's not here or on my life now that she's not here. And it's an attempt to be able to put it to bed and to say, okay, we don't want to have to keep thinking about this. We would like to, you know, solve this puzzle and be able to, okay, then we can put it away forever. You know, there's no solution, I think, in in the dead, you know, the solution is with the living. Although we we don't want to leave the dead too early, we want to be with them. We want uh, the meaning of that connection and that life is so very big and full to us, but they have no future for us, and that that's a really hard thing to accept. But it's also it gets boring. <laughs> it gets boring thinking about dead people all the time. I'm sorry if that's a bit harsh, but yeah. it it really is because it never changes. It's no. sort of everything in the past now is fixed and it's only the future that is open. Do you blame Gabby for what happened? Like we... In fact, we've had a lot of big philosophical discussions about this question, haven't we? About where yep. the responsibility begins and ends when someone dies by suicide. We've talked about this. I don't, it's a conversation I think we'll keep having. But do you think Gabby holds any degree of responsibility or blame in this? Look, uh, I have thought, I, I want to say up front... I acknowledge that my daughter took her own life. It was her decision. 
She did the actions. Nobody else did the actions to end her life. She did that. It was fully and 100% her responsibility that she she made that happen. But so I'm not I'm not uh, delusional in that I don't think that it was her choice and her responsibility. Like 100% her responsibility. But I also say can see that there were so many things that it wasn't a free choice. She she didn't she did not want her life to end. She was planning other things when her life was also ending. She was going to the gym to get fit. She was eating making herself vegetable soup for her health. She was taking her partner to parties because it was good to be social together. She was doing talking to um, foster people about fostering a child. She had rescue dogs. She had a life. So the fact that she took her life uh, wasn't a free choice. She didn't want to leave that life. I don't think she really did as much as it was just she couldn't not do that. And so, yes, in a way, she's 100% responsible for what happened and uh, agonisingly, that is to say, and yet it was almost like a setup. I feel like suicide is like a setup where so many things are unbearable that people cannot keep themselves alive. Yeah. I, I I love the way that you've characterised that because I find myself holding two completely different conflicting beliefs in my hands at the same time. So on one hand, Jason absolutely bears 100% responsibility for a lot of what happened in terms of the mismanagement. He became addicted to some really unpleasant drugs that interfered with the prescription medication that he was taking. He inflicted a whole lot of pretty unpleasant things around people that matter a whole lot to me because he was, at the end, he behaved in a way that a dad shouldn't. And there's that mum part of me that feels fiercely protective yeah. about that stuff that went down. And it's like, how the hell could you do it, man? Do you know what yes. I mean? Yes. Who is this person? So on mm. one hand, yes. There is, he is responsible for what happened. At exactly the same time and in equal measure, he was not responsible for one damn thing that happened to him. He really wasn't. And yeah. none of it was his fault. If you are suffering from a really chronic illness in the way that he was, pain, suffering, they say that depression is, you know, really bad depression is worse than the pain you experience with cancer. I don't know if that's true. It's something people say. But I know that Jason suffered for a really, really long time. And so all the choices that flowed from that, the drug addiction, the, look, the many, many attempts he made, I think, to try and heal himself, all of that stuff flowed because he was trying to heal what was in him and what was causing him pain. So he's not responsible for any of it, you know. Um, I've told the story, I think I've told the story to you a few times that my mum now has dementia and she was in the grip of dementia 
really she's further down that road now because we're three years since Jason died, but she wasn't terribly with it um, around the time of Jason's death. And one of the things that she said to me stuck with me. She's a hard lady, my mum. She's not one for offering a lot of emotional comfort. She's not, she wasn't a particularly demonstrative mum. Uh, from that era, very, very stoic, yeah. hard, hard farm people, hardworking farm people, kid of the Depression, very tough lady. Her words after Jason died, she said, what those girls need to know is that it's not their fault. Yes. What you need to know is that it's not your fault. Mm. And there was a long pause. And she said, and it wasn't Jason's fault either. A very smart mum. Content development and background research by Joni Janaway and Tanya Bretherton. Sound, music and audio, pre- and post-production provided by Patty O'Rourke. If this conversation has been difficult for you, if you're experiencing suicidal thoughts or feelings, or if you're just having a really tough time right now, there is help out there. Lifeline is available 24 hours on their hotline at 131114. The Suicide Callback Service is also available at 1300 659 467. If you're having a hard time and not even sure how to start the conversation, remember that a trusted GP or a family doctor is also a good place to start.